I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh. On the handles of the bolt, I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me. They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. How is your beloved better than others, most beautiful of women? How is your beloved better than others that you so charge us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among ten thousand. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with topaz. His body like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli. His legs are like pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. Where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn, that we may look for him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to browse in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. You are as beautiful as Terza, my darling, as lovely as Jerusalem, as majestic as troops with banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is missing. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. Sixty queens there may be, and eighty concubines, and virgins beyond number. But my dove, my perfect one, is unique, the only daughter of her mother, the favourite of the one who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and concubines praised her. Who is this that appears like the dawn, far as the moon, bright as the sun, majestic as the stars in procession? I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley, to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realised it, my, my, des- my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. Come back, come back, O Shulamite. Come back, come back, that we may gaze on you. Why would you gaze on the Shulamite as on the dance of Mahainaim? Fly me to the moon, 
Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. Well, such is the world of love, according to Frank Sinatra. And they're bold promises, aren't they? Let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for. Satisfaction is found in you and you alone. Love makes big promises. At a wedding I was uh, speaking at recently, before the wedding, I met with the bride and groom-to-be, chatted through their hopes and fears for married life. And the bride said to me, she said, I know marriage is hard, but I hope there's also going to be lots of joy, or else this thing has been very missold. Romantic relationships promise great joy. That, that's the excitement of it. I, I found something good, something precious, something worth pursuing. And the heart begins to race. Well, listen to the, the bride's word in, in chapter 5. I'm very deliberately going to look at these verses out of order this morning to try and help us see the structure of the poetry here. So look with me at verse 10 of chapter 5. Here we've got the, the woman extolling the virtues of her lover. In chapter 5, verse 10, she says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. That's kind of our one in a million language. His head is purest gold. His, his hair is wavy, as black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water's stream, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, or perhaps better, his beard is like a bed of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory decorated with lapis lazuli. Lapis lazuli is a, a semi-precious stone. It's used to convey great worth and splendor. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. So you, you see the steadfastness, the permanence here. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. This is my friend, daughters of Jerusalem. The glorious words of heartfelt love, utterly disinhibited. I'll spare you the, the details of the anatomical allusions here, but this is romantic love painted in perfection. So how do you respond to that? What, what do these words do for you? They're meant to stir our emotions. That's what poetry does. So, so what is it for you? Is it joyful familiarity? You recognize this delight and these words, they warm your heart. Make sure you tell your beloved if that's the case. Words are important. Or do these words bring longing? Like listening to love songs on Radio 2. You sense goodness here, but, but the absence of the goodness hurts. That can be true in all walks of life. Longing for what you once knew. Longing for what you haven't known. And it hurts. Or is it cynicism? My guess is this might be the dominating response in the room. You, you hear the glorious perfection sung in these words and you think, really? He's, he's altogether lovely? I mean, can love be that perfect? Perfect. 
And you're wanting to tell her, look, dear, I mean, I used to think like this, but wake up and smell the coffee of reality. That's the cynic's response. How do you respond? Where do you go when you listen? Well, let me ask you the question another way. What is reality here? Do verses 10 to 16 capture true love, real love? Or is it actually a fake picture of unobtainable love? Which is it? Well, let me have one more go at it. When you see broken love, when you see painful relationships, all the hurt in this world, do you tell yourself, well, that is just normal? Or is it abnormal? What is reality? What is normality? Do you see why it matters? Husband and wife who feel trapped in a a joyless marriage. Is that just because they've reached the destination of human love? Or is there a reality worth fighting for? Or, Or when you find yourself longing for a joyful intimacy that is distant to you, is the right response just to tell yourself, stop daydreaming? Stop chasing unicorns and knuckle down to real life. Or is there something worth chasing? You see, how how we view this love scene massively affects how we emotionally engage with our world. Every day we're, we're surrounded by promises of perfection, TV adverts, Hollywood movies, music lyrics. They all make bold promises of perfection. We heard it with Frank Sinatra, but if you like Frank Sinatra, you probably won't like this. This is a bit edgier. Uh, Have a listen to to Bruno Mars. I'll put the lyrics on screen so you can hear the promises. Now, that is a tune that can really get into your head. I promise you that. It's been going around in my head all week. Your sex takes me to paradise. That's his claim. No sexual intimacy. I'm locked out of heaven, he says. Here, sexual relationships promise perfection. Paradise, in Bruno Mars's words. But what is the reality? Let's look at our second heading. Um, I've called this Broken Beauty. And I want you to come back with me to the the start of our verses this morning. Chapter 5 and verse 2. And just picture the scene as this nighttime encounter plays out. If you were here last week, it will sound familiar. It's a sort of rerunning of events from chapter 3. It's the woman speaking, verse 2. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my, my dove, my flawless one. Again, the perfection's there. My head is is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me 
They bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. The song is so disorientating in the way it suddenly shifts emotion from verse to verse. We saw last week, chapter 5 begins with a glorious wedding night consummation. And yet we suddenly transition into, into a far sadder scene. She, she's in bed. She hears the door knocking. Open to me, my, my sister, my darling, my, my dove, my flawless one. Her lover is calling. But her response, verse 3, but, but I'm in my PJs. I've showered. I don't want to get up again and, and get my feet dirty. Or perhaps put simply, not tonight, darling. And it jars against the beauty of what came before. You're left thinking, where is the erotic, intoxicating love of, of chapter 5, verse 1? Where's it gone? And then verse 5, the scene turns on its head. Suddenly she's up, she's out of bed, she's longing for her lover, hands dripping with myrrh, fingers flowing with myrrh, and she opens the door, but verse 6, my beloved had left, he was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called, but but he did not answer. You you see the, the crossed wires, the miscommunication. And it's a painful scene to, to look at as these, these lovers misconnect. She, she captures the pain of the moment in verse 7. The watchman found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak. Those watchmen are the walls. They're not literal events. It's poetry capturing her pain at the brokenness of beauty here. The harmonious unity of chapter 5 verse 1 is now a muddled and confused mess and it hurts it's human experience there's a reason why Adele has sold quite so many songs it's not just her stunning voice her songs capture the reality of human experience Um, have a listen I'm hoping this is one everyone will enjoy Hello from the other side. Hello from the outside. Do you hear the the separation and the pain? Broken beauty. And yet, here's the real puzzle. In in verse 8, she calls out to her friends, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. And then the story picks up again at the beginning of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 1. And the friends respond, where where has your beloved gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your beloved turn, that we may look for him with you? And she replies, my beloved has gone down to his garden. 
to the beds of spices, to, to browse in the garden and to gather the lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He browses among the lilies. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you'll recognize the imagery in these verses. It, it's the imagery of sexual intimacy. The garden pictures their intimate love. This is the language that was used of their wedding night. Do you see the puzzle? Moment of great panic. And yet relational perfection is suddenly restored. And you're left thinking, what is normality here? How are we meant to read this? Here's what I found helpful as I've puzzled this week. Notice the language of chapter 5, verse 2. The woman says... I slept, but my heart was awake. And then what plays out for us in that moment of fear is a nighttime scene. We had a very similar pattern last week. Chapter 3, verse 1, all night long on my bed. And then a panicked scene unfolds. It's the watchman, it's the night watchman who beat and bruised and stripped her in verse 7 of chapter 5. The moment's of relational brokenness are pictured as darkness. But by the time we arrive at chapter 6, verse 2, perfection restored, and, and it seems to be a daytime scene, gathering flowers, wandering in the garden. It's daytime activity. Day and night are important here because that helps us see which of these scenes pictures normality. It's light that brings clarity. It's light that helps us see true reality. And so it seems to me that the daytime scene is capturing normality for us. It's not not to deny or ignore the the broken beauty that we see in the nighttime scenes. They, They very helpfully capture for us the reality of human experience. But we need to be clear on this. The brokenness is not normality. It it is not the natural destination of human love. So the the joyless, painful marriage. We mustn't see that as as normal, as inevitable. It's so easy to think that way, but these verses encourage us to fight for the daytime, to bring the fears of the night into the beauty of the light, to confront the struggles, not just to accept them. And, and our longings for glorious intimacy. The, the, the day and night imagery here seems to be encouraging us not to see those longings as foolish naivety, chasing a unicorn. No, we're meant to see beauty as beauty. There's goodness being portrayed here. Yes, there's brokenness. Yes, there's hurt. But it's the beauty that is seen as the dawn comes. That, that is the lasting reality here. We do God a great disservice if what he made to be good, very good, Genesis 2, if we simply write it off as bad. That was my solution as a single man. Put sexual desire in the bad box. It's dirty, disgusting, don't go there. You're calling what God made to be good, bad. And now as, as a married man, very easy just to think, you know, marriage is hard. We're, we're all broken people. It's okay that marriage is tough. But do you see, both responses hide the beauty. There's something good to long for here. 
There's something glorious to fight for. We're not meant to deny the goodness. Actually, I I fear there'll be great spiritual harm for us to do that. Because whether we're joyfully married, joyfully single, painfully married, painfully single, whatever path we walk, these verses urge us to look beyond the path of the here and now and to look to the destination. That's the key for us to grasp here. I've called our final point lasting intimacy. And I want us to look again at the the language used in chapters 5, verses uh, 10 to 16. Look down with me at those verses again. Um, Their relationship's already been pictured as a garden. We've seen that. And in these verses, we've got streams, verse 12. And there's, there's gold, verses 11 and 14. And we've got precious minerals, jewels, end of verse 12, and topaz in verse 14. That those images are all echoes of a better garden. The language here takes us back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis 2, to a perfect, undefiled garden. Read, read through Genesis 2 again in your own time. See the echoes. It's a perfect, undefiled garden, a garden where Adam and Eve were told to work and keep, to guard its goodness. We need to see Eden here. Um, but in these verses, we've also got, um, verse 15, we've got cedars from Lebanon. We've got incense and myrrh, verse 13. Um, there are marble pillars set on golden bases, verse 15. In fact, throughout these verses, there's gold. There's precious jewels. And we need to see that as temple language. Significantly, King Solomon's temple, which he built to be the place where God is pictured to live among his people. It's not chance language. If you and I had visited King Solomon's temple, and then we read these words, we'd be thinking, well, she's describing her lover as the temple in Jerusalem. So why? Why echoes of Eden? Why imagery of the temple? Do you see the significance? Uh, Eden the place where God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. Perfect, undefiled relationship between creator and creation. Or or the temple, Solomon's temple, the dwelling place of God, picturing the presence of his glory among his people. And then, wonderfully, as the Bible closes, um, Revelation 21, we, we return to the same imagery, This is the destination for all those who are trusting in Jesus. I'm going to put these verses up on screen. Revelation 21, verse 2, we read, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Then as the Apostle John continues to gaze on this temple, he writes, uh, verse 18 of 21, that the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass, The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. 
I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Now, do you hear that, that this is reality? Revelation's vision. As the bride in the Song of Songs captures her delight in her husband's love, her words are very deliberately calling us on to a greater love, a greater intimacy, one which is steadfast and glorious. Chapter 5 is helping us see that, that human love is just a fleeting shadow. So crucial that we get that. Otherwise, our longings crush us and our disappointments destroy hope. Human, intimate, sexual love is just a shadow, a glimpse of a greater reality. It is good and glorious. It begins to picture for us something that is incomprehensibly good. So, We mustn't write off human love as bad. We mustn't assume that brokenness is the norm. We've got to fight for beauty now, but we do that so we long all the more for eternity. And we mustn't shroud our longings. We mustn't pretend that we're chasing unicorns. There's goodness in human love. It's okay to long for goodness, but we must let our longings pull us on to the greater goodness because we find ourselves longing for human intimacy we need to let that longing turn to praise for this glorious day which is to come it's lasting intimacy so so long for this day life in all its glory and its uh, its brokenness it is just a breath some of you know know this better than i do life flies by It's just a breath, but the reality, true glory, lasting beauty, that's the great destination for all those who trust in Jesus. And we need to keep reminding each other of that each day. That is the true destination. Let's pray that we would long for that together. Let me lead us in a prayer. I'm going to invite the music group up, actually, as we pray, and we'll sing. Let's pray together. God, our Father, you are a wonderful, a glorious God. And you have prepared for us an eternity that we cannot imagine. We only glimpse its goodness in the life that we live now. Father, help us to see that goodness, but to long for the greater goodness. Help us to encourage each other along the path that you've given us to walk reminding each other that true, lasting intimacy is to come. As we sing together, as we break bread and share wine together, remind us of the great hope we have in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.